Hello, I'm Ina Kerr. And I'm Maggie Brayton. Welcome to Deal With It, our podcast series on business and deals. In this episode, we share the catch-up we had with the students of this Erasmus University in Rotterdam. We talk about the changes in the deal market and why we've survived the pandemic. Thanks to Riz Makina for the invitation. And thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be speaking to you today. The time I did my first deal, deals were like, you know, you get addicted to them with the adrenaline they generated. I got addicted to deals and continued doing them until now. I still love doing deals. I think it's very interesting, complicated problems for us to solve on a daily basis. So to give you a little bit of an idea how things work when we're doing a transaction. So when a company wants to buy another company, there's a whole thing that gets done before they buy it. Right? There's certain analysis, financial analysis of how good is this company, how they actually make money, what is their growth prospects. There's all sorts of analysis that get done before they buy it. And then they buy it and then they start implementing all those plans that they have to, they have done you know, what to do with this company. I get involved especially on delivering those plans afterwards, right, and actually making things happen, either putting two companies together or separating uh, a piece of a company or standing it up, a piece of company that came just a piece of it and how I'm going to make it work, or just improving a company which is by itself. So I work more, much more on the operational side of things and actually making things happen. I work for Selector at the moment. I don't know if anybody knows Selector. You know the vending machines where you guys can buy snacks in a train station or in a gas station or even in the office. They are one of my clients at the moment. They are a portfolio company of KKR, which is a, a private equity, and I'm helping them do an integration of an acquisition they've made. I'll give an example of a carve-out, which is not food. So, for example, I worked for Adnoc. So, Adnoc is the main oil company in wow, the okay. And I help them separate their refinery business, so where they refine oil. It's the third largest refinery in the world. We separated as a separate business, and they sold a piece of it to uh, two companies, one Austrian called OMV and uh, one it- Italian called E&I. Um, hi, everybody. So, yes, I'm Monty Brown. So, I'm the Indial person, traditionally. So, I do uh, what you might know as the sort of due diligence. I work mainly for corporates, so large you know, FTSE 100 corporates, and they're selling their non-core pieces. And actually, even now, my guys on the sell side, we're looking at their business, and we're getting it ready for sale. And still, their clients are going like that. So forget global pandemic, forget global recession. Every company I look at, everything's going to be brilliant in the, just from 2021 onwards. So my job is to look at that curve and see how realistic it is, and does it actually fit in, in the in the realms of, of reality in terms of the numbers and the level of profitability and the level of revenue. And then also look at some of the risk side to deal with that, sort of how the value is going to get created, but also looking at the risks. So what has this business done historically that could cause it risks in the future? Maybe we can move to, I guess, Ina and Maggie's experiences with Running a business in this muck of a pandemic, perhaps. Uh, I can already see Maggie uh, looks very enthusiastic about talking about the stress relief. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, uh, <laughs> as Ina said, we're not the youngest, so we should be old enough and ugly enough to cope with these things. But everybody sort of said to us, oh, yeah, your first year, you know, first year of business, 
always very difficult. Most businesses fail in their first year. I'm thinking, yeah, cheers, Mum. Thanks for the enthusiasm. Somebody just give us a deal to work on. Mm. So our very first deal was um, the it was a sale out of a German conglomerate, ThyssenKrupp, which some of you may know, and they were selling their elevators business. So you know everything was going absolutely brilliantly. So you know our first deal, so it'll be our first cred. Uh, credential as EOS is a $17 billion deal. We were like, yeah, market, in your face, look at us. And so that was sort of getting into January, and then a FTSE 100 company asked us to, to come and work with them on a very small acquisition, but it was a tester to see if we wanted to get, kind of get on their preferred list, and we were like, this is excellent. And then, yeah, somebody coughed in Wuhan, and we were like, oh. <laughs> And you know, we're not worried about that. And when we were looking at a takeover of a US listed business, I mean, good God, we were on fire here. Our pipeline and our revenue went to zero. So that was quite a quite a serious situation to find ourselves in. But also the fact that we were small enough to be agile to do things there were not deals per se, because there were no deals. Even if we wanted to do them, they didn't exist. But to do things that were close enough to deals to keep us running until deals came back again. We went, for example, to portfolio companies of private equity, private equities, and helped them. We were working capital, for example, to help them release cash, which is a very similar thing to a deal. We turned our skills during those months to things that were close enough to people that trusted us and were our clients to help them with actually what they needed at that point. And I think that's, for me, that's what actually made us survive throughout, because now deals are back, right? Since one month, deals are completely back. And we spoke to clients every day, spoke to banks every day, we spoke to, we, we, we kept doing the rounds of the market, what was happening. So we, when it picked up, we were completely ready for the pickup. And actually, that pressure and that ability to innovate uh, to something that our clients wanted has actually really helped us articulate, what do we do? What value do we bring? Uh, and how do we operate in deals? So in a, in a weird way, that we wouldn't have done that without the pandemic. Every client refers to us now, and we, we, we haven't thought about this ourselves. Well, now, of course, we do, but they came from the client. They say you're an extension of my team. While all the consultants are there to advise them from a distance, you know, there's a team of consultants, there is them, and there is a distance between them. All of them refer to us, and we can feel on the relationship, which is a very different relationship than the ones you used to have, you're part of my team. So that also helped us focus on which niche of the market and how do we work with our clients. Of course, it gives you more responsibility being part of their team, but it also makes it more fun and more interesting to work with, too. A way of looking at the public information and using that to help the clients answer the question, is this a good deal? So really helping them test their deal thesis rather than doing the sort of due diligence that we would traditionally do. And right now, I would assume that you're mostly dealing with sort of European clients or mostly UK clients? Everywhere. It was global so quickly. And I think the pandemic has pushed us to new levels of global. So we've done, uh, you know, we work for a company in Japan, in Italy. So I yeah. suppose that, that Chicago office is going to open very, very soon. <laughs> Hopefully, it's, been a yeah. while, but it's, uh, it's getting there. Okay. <laughs> yes. 
How did you see the types of deals during the pandemic changing to what it was normally like? Like you, Ina, you said that uh, it picked up back up slowly in June. Which ones? Like, what kinds of deals came up first? Private equity-owned companies were not allowed such government loans. Depended on the country. People realized, especially big corporates, that things will still be really bad for the next 12 months. Right, the economy is not going to recuperate immediately. We're still going to be battling this. Until everybody's vaccinated, until the things are normal, it's still going to take a long time. That means that they then are starting to sell pieces, which are either not profitable or are known core to them. So we are working on several sell sides at the moment of big, large corporates selling those pieces that they don't think it fits to raise money. It's another way of raising money or because they're not profitable. Or working for private equity, just looking at those pieces, because the product is still full of money. It's because we live in a bit of a crazy world at the moment where the economy is still in recession. It's still very bad, but the prices of companies are completely mad. No, the expectations. The expectations of price. So then the deals don't finish, because between buyers and sellers, there is a bit of a disconnect at the moment in terms of pricing. I had a personal question just for both of you, Maggie, you know, out of the three grades, personality, and capabilities, like personal capabilities, which of the three uh, is most important to you when you're looking to recruit a new colleague? Neither. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Our, my answer is mindset. Mindset would be my first choice. Why, why, why in particular mindset? You know? Because... To work on us, to be able to work at a startup and make it work, you have to have the right mindset. I think Ina uh, said that mindset is the most important thing of everything. So my question is basically, how um, could someone go about to get into the right mindset to thrive in an industry as yours? You have to be curious. Otherwise, you fail in our industry. So I think we are very successful because we are extremely curious. So, for example, you talk about a company, I'll go search it, and now I'll look at, we'll look at their accounts, we'll look at their website, we will look at anything that came out. We have, nobody tells us to do that. We do that because we're interested. You know, there are companies that I follow, that I read the FTO or whatever news, I keep following them because I'm curious about them. One of the things that you can learn but the hard way is resilience. Because part of that curiosity for me or the mindset that we look for has an underlying resilience to it. And that, you know, you guys already know. You only get it through the freaking knocks that you get. But how you, we always say it's not really the things that happen to you, it's the way you react to them. Mm. And that's so important because I remember even if you talk about us, mm. you know, we had really hard days. And I remember me and Maggie like would come in the morning and we would like just look at each other and say, what the hell was this day, you know, like we go throughout it and it was just horrific. And we, we would go to bed and we wake up the next morning and the first thing we would say, both of us like, what's our plan then? Yeah. That was it. It was not like, oh, I think it was so bad and I cannot, no, like, yeah, no, we, we, you know, we slapped on it and we'll come back the next morning and say, okay, what's our plan then? What's our to-do list? What we got? So that resilience of believing that, okay, you know what? I'm going to go over this. That's okay. I mean, fine. We're still, we're still extremely privileged in where we are and what we can do. It only depends on us. Like, which clients are we going to call them? What are we going to go after? So we always came up with a plan, and that's resilience. 
And that can be in any situation where something gets tough. How do you pick yourself up? And, and that's I think it can be learned. And Maggie, may I just ask, uh, just as a follow-up then, do you see that bringing that honesty from like the EOS sort of brand, I guess, is also valuable to clients because you just give them your straight arrow? Oh, yeah, they love it. They love it. And, and to be honest, you know, the reason why Eno and I, I think, have managed to survive this first year is because we did have a good network of good clients where, to be honest, for the last 20 years, we have been honest with them. And that's why they they followed us. And why do you think they value it so much? Is it just because it was commonplace for people in your industry to just seem like they know everything? Is it just commonplace? Yeah, they're paying. Well, they're, why are they paying me? They're paying me because I've done I've done it before, and I know the pitfalls, right? And I know the you know what this should be or what that should be. So in a deal, you've got to be the quickest, and you've got to be to the best answer in the quickest time. That's what's going to make you win a deal. So you think, how do I win a deal? whether it's a buy side or a sell side. How am I successful in a deal? It's surrounding myself with people who can get me to the best answer quickest. They pay me to, because I'm, I'm longer at a client, so I can't stay up three years, two years in a client. They pay me for predicting problems before they happen. Mm. So we can solve them before they become problems. We have the same clients that we had before. We still do the same size of deals that we had before in the business. I mean, it, that has not changed. I think your goal is also to grow your company. And do you think if you uh, enlarge your company that the dynamic uh, relationship with the clients will change or you will try to remain it? I definitely do not want it to change because it's the best relationship. Oh, being part of that team is just such a better relationship. We were discussing the fact that the big four was slow. They just didn't want to innovate. They were just happy receiving the paycheck month to month. How are you going to sort of take let's say not really the fight, but how are you going to do it better than them, aside from everything you just told us, like product-wise and services-wise? I think the thing we didn't do this year because of we were cash-constrained is the technology side. We really want to do that because we do think there is so much in it. You know, if I can teach the computer to do the more transactional stuff and to think like us, so we start coding that, how we think, because we just think. Right? But it takes 20 years to build a me or 20 years to build a Maggie. That's too long. How can I short, you know, how can I shorten that? Is by giving the, teaching the computer how to do some of the analysis. Because it can. I mean, it is a very, if you, we started coding it and writing it down, it is very algorithmic. You know, I look at this and then I look at this and then I ask this question. Then I check this. So it's a very like, there is steps to it. And if we can code that, then will make us gain time to have more thinking time. So it's not technology as a replacement, it's technology as an enabler to have more curiosity time. You know, Maggie, thank you once again so, so much for uh, putting aside time to speak with us. I know you're very busy trying to keep a business afloat during the pandemic, so uh, I, we do really appreciate your time here with us, giving us your insights and making it a bit sort of casual because, uh, you know, a lot of presentations you'll have from speakers, they'll try to project an image of, Whatever. It really did feel like a conversation and, uh, you know, I'm glad that we got you guys on board. Um, and I'll be sure to push to make sure we get to see you again sometime next year.